All right, we'll take your Bibles tonight, turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 2. So 1 Samuel and chapter 2, we'll stand in honor of God's Word here at this time. 1 Samuel and chapter 2, sure, uh, glad to have guests here. We have several from graduation, some from weddings. I know uh, Joe Klimas, Miss Hannah Harold getting married. They've got a lot of family here. And friends, sure glad to have you all here today as well. And had a wedding yesterday. Um, the raspberries and creek moors. And so uh, thankful some family staying over for that and uh, other family members and friends and uh, people that somebody knocked their door and they came. That's a blessing. It still works just getting out and inviting people. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And uh, some first time guests here, even that rode the Bus this morning. We have had a young man out in the gym named Jason Gaddis that was here. So how about that? First time. I got to get out there and get my picture with him. So that was pretty. That was pretty neat. So I think he's in the third or fourth grade somewhere right in there. So it's awesome. You never know. All right. First Samuel chapter two is where we are. First Samuel two. We covered the first ten verses uh, the last time we were in First Samuel, which is last um, last Sunday night. It was uh, Hannah's praise, and she was without child, wanted a child, but, but not, not just to say she had a son, but because the spiritual, moral condition of their land was in such disarray, she vowed before God that if God would give her a son, that he would give, uh, she would give him back to the Lord, and that's exactly what she did, and, and God began to raise up a young man that would serve him, and his name was Samuel, and he would become priest. But at this point, he's still a child, about three years old, and she is leaving him there, uh, Elkanah, her husband, and Hannah, having left him there. She didn't go home sad, though. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure she missed him, but uh, she was also rejoicing that God has the ability to raise up those that are poor and weak because our weakness is his strength. And so that's what we saw last time. But we also saw this, those that rebel against God, God knows how to deal with them too. So he knows how to lift the, the lowly, but he knows how to cast down the proud. All right. So keep that in mind as we read the text here tonight. So let's begin in verse number 11. We'll read through 26. <clears throat> And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. Well, that just doesn't even sound good, does it? Worthlessness is the idea of Belial. Um, Belial, uh, satanic worship. I mean, it's obvious there's, there's much wrong here. They're the sons of the priests, though, this man named Eli. And it says here in verse 12, they knew not the Lord. Okay. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh, 
and to all the Israelites that came there. I'm telling you, there were some problems in the house of God. There was problems in Shiloh. Sins in Shiloh. Verse 15. Also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden or boiled flesh of thee but raw. Priest wanted the choice cut meat. Gonna have a barbecue. Verse 16. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth. Then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Well, there's a nice priest servant. Well, obviously, look at verse 17. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But, <laughs> I like that. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with the linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat a little robe, a little coat, and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went into their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. Well, that's a blessing, isn't it? And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now, Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel and how, how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Sad, isn't it? It's supposed to be a place of holiness place of righteousness, and they've made it a, a place of great sin. So it says in verse 23, Eli, he said unto them, why do you such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father because the Lord would slay them. Verse 26. And the child Samuel grew on. I like that. You got all this bad stuff going on, but at the same time, all this bad stuff's going on. This child Samuel grew on, just grew on, and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. All right, so our series 
for those that may be just joining us, is entitled this, When a Nation Needs Revival. Anybody here agree we need revival in our land? When a Nation Needs Revival. And here's the title for this, which would be sermon number five, The Danger of Being Closely Involved and Yet So Far Away. The danger of being closely involved and yet, and yet so very far away. I'd like to pray one more time and then we'll get into uh, the message. Kind of hard preaching all day today. You know, I don't know. It just kind of falls that way every now and then. Uh, but we need it. Along the way, we need it. So, Father, uh, help us right here. Been praying about this message and, and the one from this morning. want to thank you for the gentleman that was saved this morning. We sure rejoice in that. And uh, dear God, um, I, I pray you'd help us right here. Uh, there's some things we need to see. There's some things that need to be explained. And uh, Lord, I've, I've got to trust you just to do that, Lord, and that you'd be with my mouth. Help me say what I ought to say and, and hold me back from saying anything I shouldn't. So Lord, I've, I've just got to trust you right here and know that you know uh, what is best and that you give us the help that we need. Dear God, we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. They joined in with others who were likewise receiving training to be pilots. They learned how to navigate, how to read the instruments, how to uh, maneuver the plane in mid-flight, how to land, how to take off. They trained um, in Florida and in Arizona, even right here in this area in Norman, if I'm not mistaken, didn't verify that, but they trained along with many other pilots. But the 9-11 hijackers, instead of being a help to people moving from one part of the country to another, brought great devastation to our land. They dressed just like other pilots in training. They went through the same procedures. They learned the same lessons. Um, and yet they abuse their training for selfish purposes. I couldn't help but think about that as I thought about uh, these men that are known in the Bible here as the sons of Eli, sons of Levi, ultimately. I mean, they're in the lineage of the priesthood. And yet they took their training and they abused it by using it on themselves. I'm, I am glad to tell you that, um, that those, you know, that have been trained as pilots, uh, obviously, I mean, that's, that's a terrible situation and they were deceived into thinking these people meant well and obviously they did not. And I'm glad that doesn't define all who are trained as pilots. We have several here that are using it for right reasons and in a right ways, of course. And I'm glad to tell you today that, that uh, those that even grow up in the ministry. I think about like an Eli's sons here, the priest, and they're growing up in the ministry. Uh, we might even call them preacher kids, right? Preacher kids. I'm glad to tell you that not all preacher kids are bad. Amen. How many of you tonight are preacher kids? All right, raise your hand. Look at this. Look, at, look around. Raise your hand real high. Preacher kids. Preacher kids. All right. Yeah. Raise it high, Trenton. Preacher's kids. All right. Preacher's kids. Matt Farinella, Brother David, Miss Anita, and, and my wife. Preacher's kids. I mean, all around here, uh, uh, preacher's kids. So see, they didn't all turn out bad. 
but we all know some that have. So how do you explain all that? That's not my effort tonight to, to do that because um, the reason some turn out bad is not because they're preacher's kids, but because they have sinful hearts. The reason that some turn out good is not because they're preacher's kids, but because they heart that's, have a heart that's submitted to the Lord. It really comes back to the heart, doesn't it? Somebody said, you know why preacher's kids are so bad? It's because they play with deacon's kids. So anyways, I don't know if that's true. Oh, that was, that was mean. That was mean. But Steve, I didn't mean one word of that, brother. I didn't mean one word of that. Not one word. But Larry didn't mean a word of that. So anyways. Um, a man named Dale Davis said this, It is a bleak hour indeed when the light of the world is part of the darkness. It's a bleak hour indeed when the light of the world is part of the darkness. You get what he's saying right there? People that are supposed to be given to light are given to darkness. I mean, you, you would expect this type of behavior from the Canaanites or the Philistines. But here it is, the Israelites. And not only the Israelites, but it was the, the priest's sons that were doing this. And so we got to keep in mind here, folks, that this was, this was the day of the judges. Right. I mean, this the, remember, you got judges, then Ruth. Ruth is like um, a light in the midst of the darkness. But we got to keep in mind just how how bad things were spiritually, religiously, morally, eco economically in many ways. But more than that, just they, they were just in a bad way in the country, Israel. And this really just illustrates how bad it was. Now, it's not all bad, though, because there's a woman named Hannah who loves the Lord. And she said this when she was praying there at the temple and Eli thought she was drunk. She was not drunk. She was moving her lips while praying. And she said this, I am not a daughter of Belial. Do you remember that? I'm not a daughter of Belial. Well, here the text is telling us by way of contrast here were Hophni and Phinehas, who are the sons of Belial. Okay. Um, this certainly does underscore the importance of choosing your friends wisely. I heard it this week. I don't remember who said it, but said this. It's good for all of us, whether adult, teen, or child. When you choose your friends, you choose your future. You choose your friends. Everybody listen to this. I want to make sure everybody's on board right here. This, there's too much I've got to say for anybody to be left behind, okay? When you choose your friends, you choose your future. You got, you got to really take that into heart. You choose your friends, you choose your future. The text tells us that they did not know the Lord. Well, what does that mean? I mean, here, here they are. I mean, did that strike you strange? That here were the sons of Eli, the priest. And the Bible says they did not know the Lord. Does that, does that mean they didn't know about God or they weren't aware of what was going on? I don't, that's not at all what it's saying because later in the text, the prophet's going to show up on the scene and he's going he's to preach a personal message to Eli. And it's obvious that Eli understood the things of the Lord and, and no doubt he would have instructed his children in the, in the ways of the Lord in those things. And so I, I don't think the text is saying they didn't know about God. They didn't know the Lord. Um, they were serving in the tabernacle. They understood the offerings. Are you following me here? They understood a lot about the offerings. They understood how that worked. I would say, given even that's the Canaanites, I'm talking about uh, people at Jericho, they had heard what God had done at the Red Sea. So if Canaanites understood what God had done at the Red Sea, don't you think that the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, that they also understood what happened at the Red Sea? 
totally speculating right here. I understand that. But I would, I would dare say that they most likely understood what happened at the Red Sea. I think they would know what happened at the wilderness, the wilderness journeys. I think they would know about the manna and God's provisions. I think they would know about the battles that their forefathers fought to give them the land. I, I think that they probably had even heard the story of Korah and Dathan and Abiram, that how the land opened up when they tried to rebel against Moses. Are you following me here? I think they probably would have known about that rebellion. I, it, it's highly likely that they would have known about even some that were in their lineage, Nadab and Abihu, who were struck down by God because in the temple they or the tabernacle, they offered strange fire. I think they knew those things. I understand that I am speculating here. I, I, I get it when I say that, that I think they knew about Samson, who was a very privileged man, and yet he went the way of the Philistines, and, and God had to deal with him. I, I think they knew about the zeal of Moses, that when, when the children of Israel, uh, they worshipped around that golden calf, and, and even, even Aaron participated in that by taking the gold and fashioning the calf, although he said he threw it in the fire and this calf came out. Terrible story. So anyways, I think they knew that. I think they knew the zeal of Moses. I think they knew the zeal of the children of Levi, their forefathers, that, um, that were there and, and took action against those that had been a part of that idolatry. I think they would even know of a man named uh, Phineas, who was the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, and how that he took a stand in the, in the, in the matter of, of Belpeor and, and the, some of the immorality that was there. In other words, they had a lot of zeal for righteousness in their background. But the zeal of one generation does not guarantee the zeal of the next. Everybody listening? The zeal of one generation does not guarantee the zeal of the next. You, you may have a granddad that was a preacher or, or a father that was a preacher or you've been a part of Southwest Baptist Church here for a long time and this church has been zealous about truth and righteousness, but just because your forefathers have been zealous for the truth and righteousness does not mean that that runs in your veins. There's got to come a time when it's your zeal. Well, we heard a message about that on Thursday in graduation. Uh, we're going to send that out to every alumni and anybody that's on the mailing list. And if you want it, we'll get it for you. Brother Wayne Hardy preached a tremendous message on, on zeal and being zealously affected in a good thing. But, but watch this. A dip in zeal results in a drop in morals. Everybody hear that? A dip in zeal results in a drop in morals, in morality. We need to understand what's going on here in this text. We need to understand what they did that was wrong. We don't need to lose hope. Because even though there are examples, even in our modern times, of preachers who are caught up in scandal, pastors whose homes are broken, churches that have been devastated, um, God's still raising up some Samuels, all right? Now, some of you have been through some things and you've seen some things. 
like we're going to consider here tonight. Um, and that can be really something of uh, disillusionment when somebody that is supposed to be godly is found out to be very ungodly. Boy, I want to preach it straight here tonight with the Lord's help. Because um, I'm just thinking about this. Hophni and Phinehas, they knew how to dress. I don't think little Samuel running around the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, I don't think he was the only one wearing an ephod. The ephod's like a vest. I don't think that he was the only one wearing a little robe. I don't think he was the only one. I think that Hophni and Phinehas dressed the part. I think they knew the procedures. I think they knew how to go through the motions. They were closely involved, very closely involved, and yet very far away. And it's, it's, a, it's alarmingly possible that there are many even here tonight that do indeed know how to dress the part and go through the motions and say all the right things and be very much even involved and yet be far away. See what they would do. It says the custom was this. Um, the custom in Shiloh was that the priest would come and take like a pitchfork and maybe it was smaller and so he could take it and, and just whack it down into the seething pot as it's cooking and, and whatever came out, he would keep. Now, now the problem is this, according to the Leviticus, which I realize sometimes we just kind of skim over that or we glaze over that, right? But according to Leviticus, the priest would receive this. They would receive a right shoulder and they would receive the breast of the animal. And so it, it, it was this, they got to eat. They should have been satisfied with that. But the custom in Shiloh was that in addition to that, they also took part of the meat while it was cooking and thus they took more to themselves than what they should have. They used the ministry for their own good. They were supposed to be there serving the Lord by serving his people, but they made the ministry more about themselves. Now, folks, hang on. Before we move on, there's a danger there for all of us that we can even make singing a song more about us and kind of put our flesh hook in that. Oh, mercy. I hadn't thought about that. That'll preach though, won't it? Kind of put our flesh hook in that and get glory to ourselves. Or, or use the ministry to get money to ourselves. How many preachers are all about money? Well, that, that's damaging, isn't it? And they're flying airplanes and there's nothing wrong with airplanes, but I mean, I'm just talking about using people's money for themselves and, and driving fancy cars and wearing nice suits. Hey, there's nothing wrong with wearing a nice suit and all that, but, but there is something wrong when you make the ministry more about yourself getting glory that it's supposed to go to God, stealing that and bringing it to yourself. Are you following me here? There's some danger right there. And, and so that's what they were doing. They were taking more to themselves than what they should have. And, and then the Bible tells us this also, that they, would, that they wanted the best. They wanted the best meat. They, they wanted the fat. All right? Now, um, you, go eat a nice, you go eat a nice ribeye somewhere. You know why you like a ribeye? You like a ribeye. 
All right, it's got some fat in it, doesn't it? Amen? Amen. All right, now I'm going to get us way off track here if I don't keep moving, but, but it, it's, it's got that in it. It's going to give it flavor, and, and, and you may cut all that away. But, but here's what the Bible said to do in the Old Testament time. He said, it said this, they were to offer up this, and they were to burn the fat, and it was supposed to be the best was supposed to go to God. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 and how that Abel offered up the best he had of the firstling of his flock, and he also offered up the fat. It, you re, check it out. It's in Genesis 4, 4. He offered that up unto God. In other words, the very best was supposed to go to God, and then they got to enjoy the rest of it. But here's what the priest said. They said this, hey, listen, we want the best for ourselves. We want the best for ourselves. And this is what's so sad. The people that were there, here's a, here's a dad around, around the, you know, cooking meat with his family. And, and they brought their sacrifice to Shiloh to honor God. And, and now they get to enjoy that meal together. And here comes this priest servant. And he says, give me the, the meat there. And he says, sir, let us offer up the fat unto God. And then you can have whatever you want. I'm telling you, the people were more spiritual than the priest. How sad. They knew what the word of God said. And so the problem is this, that the priesthood, the spiritual leadership at that time, they were letting things slide. They knew what the word of God said, but they went by what they wanted. And thus they took the best for themselves. And if anybody tried to go against that, then they got gruff with them and, and they became very demanding. You give it to us. Uh, right now, we're not going to wait on this. You're going to give it to us now. Hey, uh, let me just say this. Be cautious of somebody that's in ministry that becomes like they act like a Lord. Like a Lord over God's heritage. And they begin to get, and this is a danger for any, anyone that's in leadership, you can begin to get a little bit of an entitlement mentality. Like I've got this coming to me. Be cautious and careful of a ministry that has a wrong spirit. You follow me? Now, we've got to take a strong stand against sin, but, but let's beware of, of when, when a ministry takes on that um, hateful spirit. It's dangerous. That's what was going on. They were demanding. You think Eli knew about this? I think so. How do you know so? Verse number 20. <clears throat> Let me see in our text here. 29. It's in next week's message or the next sermon's message. Man of God shows up on the scene and he says to Eli, the priest, Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honors thy sons above me. Everybody see what I'm reading right here? And honor, honorest thy sons above me to make yourselves what? To make who? Make yourselves fat. Make yourselves fat. Everybody see that? Make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of, the, of Israel, my people. All right? If you look at chapter 4... All right, just turn over there right quick. In verse number 18, it says that when, when Eli heard about the ark of God being taken by the enemies of the people of Israel, by um, the Philistines, that he fell backwards off the side of the gate and his neck broke and he died because he was old and heavy. 
He was heavy. He was fat. Okay, how did he get heavy? Mm. Been eating some of the choice meat. Are we doing all right? Is this making any sense right here? He was eating some of the choice meat and the man of God said that ye yourselves are eating and you're getting fat on, on what really ought to be offered up unto God. And so they were, I believe he was allowing some things to slide right there. He was allowing some things to slide. And, and look what happens when, hang on, this is a good lesson for all of us as parents. When we begin to let something slide and we don't deal with it, but wait a minute, how about, what if we backed up? Maybe there were some things, even when they were children, that he should have been dealing with back then. Because it says uh, in our text that when, when Eli was old, he heard what his sons were doing down at the tabernacle. Right? And how that they were laying with the women and, and sexually involved with the women, the women that were there. Uh, you read Exodus chapter 38 and verse number eight. And, and you read also even in Numbers chapter six and verse number two, it talks about how that a man might take the vow of a Nazarite, but so could a woman take the vow of a Nazarite. In other words, they were just there to serve the Lord, but they took advantage of their position. They took, I'm talking about, I'm talking about Hophni and Phineas. They took advantage of their position, took advantage of their power, took advantage of their situation to seduce these women and to use them for their own pleasures. And what's happening at Shiloh is just like what's happening at the pagan's temple. And, and these men are laying with these women even in the very house of God. How in the world do you get there? I'm telling you, you don't get there all at one time. There's been a slide that has been taking place and, 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 and Eli is a part of it in the sense that yes, he rebuked them, but he did not remove them. You say, well, it's good that he rebuked him. It is good that he rebuked him, but he should have pulled him. Well, this is, this is hard text, isn't it? I admit that. I get it. It's a hard text for all of us. But, but nonetheless, we, it's right here that, that here he is. He's rebuking. But, but wait a minute. If we just said, wait a minute, time out. Let's, let's rewind here. He didn't rebuke them or deal with it when they were taking more food than what they should have. And he was getting fat off of it. And maybe even we could go back and see that he wasn't, he wasn't uh, rebuking them and correcting them, but maybe letting things slide. I, I don't know, but I knew, do know this. The text is emphasizing that he's old at this point when they are sexually sinful right here, but there's some rebuking that should have went on right here and probably right here and probably right here and right here. And so I'm hoping all parents right now are paying attention because you can let things slide. And when you begin to let things slide, they get out of control. And they go down. I'm concerned about our nation right now because we're letting some things slide that I don't think we should let slide. Oh, okay, hang on. This may sound like a total detour, but I, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's something that we ought to think about. Let me explain to you why a Christian ought not be involved in CBD. Did I just say that out loud? Why? Why? Well, wait a minute. What is that? I realize some, some are saying, well, it's medicinal and, 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 and all those things. But as I drive around town and I keep my eyes open and, and on, on Friday, on Thursday night, we're driving from 39th Expressway 
south on MacArthur. We turned west on 39th Expressway, went south on Rockwell down to 10th Street. And from that point, so here to here to here, 15. What is that, two miles? I've ran it. I know it's something like that. Or, la or a little bit more than that, 15. Are you telling me that people have that much medical issues? <laughs> and you see signs like this, high society? High society? That's not medicine. That's right. It's linked to a drug culture. You got some guy out there waving a, waving a, 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 a marijuana banner. Anybody that's been involved in marijuana, and I'm not speaking from experience here, praise the Lord, I haven't had that, but the gateway drug, I'm telling you, they're waving that banner, and I don't see people outside of Walgreens waving a banner of Tylenol right. or wearing pajama pants with Tylenol all over it. Right. But I see guys out there in pants with, with marijuana leaves all over it. I don't see Walgreens blacking out their windows. I mean, we're being duped into thinking, oh, it's just all this. No, there is something. There's an agenda. It's going somewhere, friend. And even by way of our association, we don't need to let things slide. Because when you begin to let things slide, if it's used this way, then it's nothing very far than we're doing a Willie Nelson. And it's recreational. I guess I didn't have to bring him into this, but, but I, I'm just simply saying there's, there's a slide that's going on and it's, and it's happening right before our very eyes. Is that a side note? Maybe so, but, but I'm concerned about where we're headed. Eli knew some things were going on that just deep down, I think in his soul, he knew something's not right here. But he didn't get to it. Now, everybody that's a parent knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. Because you're not looking at a perfect parent. These are not perfect kids. This is not a perfect church. If you join this thinking, okay, I finally found a perfect church. Nope. Somebody said, if you think you found a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. <laughs> right? You'll ruin it. Eli's sons were closely involved in the Lord's work, but they were far away from God's will. And that ought to be a warning that is issued here tonight that it is dangerously possible that you could be very closely involved in the Lord's work and yet be out of God's will. The danger right there. Because you can know what's expected of you and begin to hide it when you're not living up to those expectations. Um, hey, look, I'm not a preacher's kid. I'm not the son of a preacher. 
nor the son of a son of a preacher. My dad was a lineman, not for the NFL, but for the city of Bowling Green. <laughs> I never had any pressure put on me. You can be a lineman like your daddy when you grow up. <laughs> I don't remember that ever being said to me. I never, I never remember anybody saying to me, hey, lights are out at our house. Your dad's a lineman. Could you climb that pole? I'm scared of heights, tell you the truth. There, there's not the pressure on me. But let me, let me just, I, I've got seven reasons why I think preachers' kids struggle. One of them is expectations. Sometimes it's expectations that others put on them. You're going to be a preacher like your dad? Man, that's a lot of pressure on a kid. In some ways that can be a good pressure, but there's some preacher's kids that maybe have struggled with that. Um, then there's the pressure they put on themselves. Sometimes it's just in their own mind. Three, they just want to be normal. Kind of fit in with all the kids that are like them. Well, what kid isn't like that, right? A lot of ways. Um, four, I think Satan targets them. By the way, not just preacher's kids, but church kids. Five, there's a danger of you getting really familiar with spiritual things to the point that you take them for granted. Just kind of used to this. How many sermons have you heard about Samuel and about David and Goliath? Good night. If I hear another message about David and Goliath, I think I'll fall over dead. There's a danger right there in it, a danger of familiarity. Um, I've got two more, but I better get to my notes. Because I think it's a real deal. Um, sometimes there can be confusion in the home. The way that things are presented in public are not the way they are in private, and that's confusing. Uh, hey. That's not just for preacher's kids. That's for kids growing up in church. Because they hear things preached one way and they'd expect that their parents would follow that. But when they don't, it's really confusing. And it could be this, of course, that preacher gets pretty busy. Now, I can testify a preacher's life is pretty busy. I've had to come to all three of my sons and say, hey, I'm sorry, I've been busy. I've had to say it to my wife. I've been busy here. Don't intend to be, but, you know, ministry is rather... Consuming. I used to think, wonder what he does all day, that pastor of mine. I mean, I know what he does on Sunday. That's kind of a given. I, wonder, I know kind of what he does half day on Wednesday, or at least from seven on. But what does he do the rest of the week? Now I wonder, how in the world am I going to get all this done? You know, it kind of flips. All right, so it can be really dangerous there for preacher's kids because the, pre the ministry can pull a dad away or a mom away and then a child can resent the ministry because it took their dad away. Those are some things I've seen. And it, I don't know how much of that plays into Eli and his sons, but at the end of the day, everybody involved is responsible to before God with their own heart. Eli was responsible, Hophni and Phinehas were responsible. And the reason I'm preaching it here tonight is because at the end of the day, regardless of what has gone on in your life, preacher kid or no preacher kid, I'm saying to you here tonight, you're responsible for God with your actions. You're a kid that's grown up in church, don't you dare take that for granted. 
Don't you dare take that for granted. And, and, and listen, don't get bored with Jesus, okay? Listen, understand that we're, we're talking about the greatest, most important thing upon the face of the earth. And what you need is just let God give you a personal relationship with the Lord and, and let Him begin to grow you. Because it's interesting to me that in the text, it says that Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they didn't know the Lord. But it also says that, that Samuel didn't know the Lord yet. And yet he was dressed in the ephod and in a robe. He was learning all the verses. He was learning all the procedures. I'm telling you, he was going through the things of God before he even had a real growing personal relationship with God, but that was good for him. And I'm saying to every young man here tonight and every young lady here tonight, it's good for you. And I'm thankful that his mama helped him know how to dress and, and brought him a little robe every year, year after year after year, and, and brought him that and let him dress up as a priest. Why? Because that way he's thinking, I'm here to serve the Lord. Mm. Parents, listen, you need to realize that, that even the way that you allow your kids to dress and what you allow them to do is having an impact on the way that they think about themselves and the way they think about the Lord. I love it. This past week, uh, little Peter DiOrio, Brother Andrew DiOrio's uh, little son, he, uh, he had on some preacher shoes, six years old. And he told his dad, his dad sent me a text with a picture of the shoes. He said, hey, he says he's got shoes just like you. And they were, man, we ran into each other. It was awesome. I love it. I tell you, little Daniel Lindsay, uh, <laughs> Mercy, I mean, if you know little Daniel, nine years old, maybe eight years old, hang on, hang on just a minute, watch this. Every day, every day he wears a preacher coat and preaches with his Bible in front of a little uh, table stand of some sort. I love it. I love little Daniel. I Many of you know him. Every single day. It's awesome. And here was little Samuel dressing up like a priest early on. Now, some things are going to happen in his life. But what I'm encouraged about is this. Just because Hophni and Phinehas are going the wrong direction does not mean that God has given up on the scene. But he's raising up a Samuel. And if God will replace the priesthood with Samuel, then he'll replace a Saul with a David. But it all depends on the heart. But again, the danger here tonight is very, very simple, but very, very clear. There's a danger that you could be very involved in the Lord's work and your heart just be far away. Because when it says that they knew not the Lord, as I did the study on it and came to some firm conclusions given what they did with the law of God and they set that aside, and what they did with regard to morality and they set that aside. Here's what it means when it says that they knew not the Lord. They did not recognize God's authority in their life. And they did what they wanted to do. You can grow up in church and still do what you want to do. And disregard the authority of God. You could be in the youth group and be immoral. You could be in Bible college and be immoral. You could grow up in a Christian home and be immoral in the words that you say and the thoughts that you have and the, and the scenes that you see 
And you could, you could be a deacon in this church. You could be an officer of this church. You could be a Sunday school teacher in this church. You could be in that choir. You could be working a bus route. You could be working in a Sunday school class. You could be working in the nursery. You could be serving as an usher in many ways. You could be going through all those things and yet be immoral in your heart and your mind and in your actions. Because there's a danger that you could be very involved, but all that's just a smokescreen for your own personal pleasure. May God deliver us from secret sin like that or when it gets to the point where Eli's sons thought, I don't even care. That's a dangerous place to be. When they became outwardly rebellious to say, it doesn't matter anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's a dangerous place to be in. May God help us here tonight. We want to be involved. But you've got to be involved with the right heart and in the right way. And then God can bless. Let's stand together here tonight. Dear God, tonight, staggering to think what action you had to take here in the family of Eli and every one of us as parents certainly ought to take heed. Dear God, I, I know there's got to be a shift in a person's thinking where they go from where this is my parents' church to where this is a personal involvement, but then ultimately that we recognize that it's your church. Dear God, and where we go from thinking of ourselves as a church kid to being a child of God. God, I pray for everyone that's grown up right here at Southwest Baptist Church that, Lord, you'd help them to understand the great need they have for a personal relationship with you. I pray, dear God, I, I love the sons you've given us and the preacher's kids that are here, the missionary kids, dear Lord, and I thank you that you've helped them to do what's right, but certainly Satan would have his target on everyone here, those growing up in church and those that are serving you, dear God, no doubt about it. And so God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, uh, against the danger of being closely involved in your work, but not in your will. I pray that you'd help us just to draw close right here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As we're standing tonight, you wanna come in this invitation, page 274, Brother Aaron's gonna begin to lead us. And uh, let's just respond as God has spoke to your heart.